I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Bream, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. And we are discussing Oregon football through four days of practice, uh, three of which we were able to watch portions of. And I, I think before we dive into what we've seen in practice, let's discuss something that happened outside of it. And that is the Oregon Ducks were voted uh, 12th in the preseason top 25 coaches poll. And Eric, Jared, I, I kind of think that this is exactly where they should be. Like I, I look at this and think you could argue maybe they're a top 10 team, like eight, nine, 10. You could also probably argue that they're more closer to a top 15 team being 13, 14 or 15. And the, they're the best team in the, in the conference or the highest ranked team in the conference. Uh, USC is a couple slots behind them. Washington is the third school ranked at number 21. So it kind of falls in line with what the media voted for the preseason poll. And yet they're right there, you know, to, to crack the top 10. I mean, they, they could be a top 10 team when they go to Ohio state week two. Yeah. That would in theory take some losses ahead of them taking place. And I'd have to look at the schedule to know if that's probable. Um, I, here's what I, I, so here's how I looked at this. I, I just was like, let me identify where Iowa state is at because Oregon shouldn't be above that that line because Iowa state beat Oregon, beat them pretty handily um, in, in the Fiesta bowl. It would feel kind of strange to have those two teams. Yes. Not a full calendar year later. And both teams having very similar rosters back to have Oregon ahead of them. So I was like, they should. So Iowa state's at eight. Um, so I was like, okay, so nine would be the highest I'd go. And based on last year's season, I understand why North Carolina, Cincinnati and Florida, each of which had better seasons than Oregon did um, that all three of them are ahead of Oregon. So I'm, I'm not going to really gripe too much at 12. I think the ceiling, and we've discussed it, is higher is, is higher than that. Um, but I'm also like, this feels about right. And, and again, like, I think not having a single Pac-12 team in the top 10 preseason, um, just, just a small aside of just like, yeah, that seems to be kind of where things are at and sort of suggests that nationally the perception is what we thought it would be, which is that they don't think the Pac-12 is really a contending conference right now. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to just say, yes, I agree, and end it. Because um, yeah. I think this is exactly where Oregon should be. Uh, ESPN had an eighth in their power rankings to start the season, their preseason one. Uh, and I felt that that was just a little too high. Um, you could probably lobby for 10, but I think 12 is reasonable. This is a team that has answers or has answers to questions and questions to answer. And I think in the first two games of the season, uh, I could see them moving up in the up in the rankings pretty heavily or taking a moderate hit. But I do think that 12 is probably a great place to start the season. Um, and I think if I were the Oregon staff, I think I'd be 
happy about it. I think I, I honestly, I think this is perfect. I, I mean, 12 is probably just, just the right number right here. And what I would also just say before I throw it back to you, Matt, is, is that um, it's not like it's going to take a very long time to learn if they deserve a better ranking or not. Cause once they go into Ohio state, we're going to have answers pretty yeah. quick of like, mm-hmm. do they deserve to be, I mean, if, if they go in and win that game, they are going to jump way up those rankings. might go top five, might go top four. If they lose that game, it depends on, probably it depends on how they lose it, but they'll drop, you know, I mean, I think if, I think if it's a tight game, they might not drop very much at all. Um, like if it's a really, really close game comes down to like a last second field goal, like something which we've suggested could in theory happen, could be, could be more lopsided, but if that's what happens, I bet they don't drop at all. And if they get beaten pretty handily, they'll probably drop significantly. Um, but again, you, and this is one of the positives of playing a team like Ohio state. So early is I think that's such a good barometer game of like, you're going to come out of Columbus knowing how good you are and where you stack up. And the rest of the country will know that too. Cause it's such a nationally, it'd be a nationally televised game and a lot of eyes mm-hmm. will be on it. You mentioned Eric that um, this may be an indicator that the conference isn't as per- perceived very high among the other power five groups, mm-hmm. but you can also note that Utah in these rankings are literally four points away from being ranked. Ole Miss is number 25 in these rankings with 149 total votes uh, points. Utah is 26th with 145. And then um, Arizona State is the 28th ranked team in the country. And there's a pretty big gap between them and Ole Miss. It's it's about uh, 50 or 60 spots. So, you know, you do have to points. You do have to look at it in that lens a little bit. But you at least have two other teams in the conference that are right there and cracking that top 25. And, you know, if Washington wins their week one game, if Oregon wins their week one game, uh, USC wins their week one game, and Utah and Arizona State, they can win these games open the year. Or maybe these teams, you know, going into October, um, these five teams have no more than one loss um, each. Then, you know, you're going into a a slate of Pac-12 play in which the league's got five ranked teams and probably a borderline top 10 team, maybe a top 10 team, maybe two top 10 teams, um, depending on how a few things shake out. And I think that then the narrative maybe changes. And that's why it's so important for, you know, the non-con schedule to, to go in favor of Oregon. Like, Oregon has to beat Ohio State. and Or they don't have to beat Ohio State. But, you know, Oregon has to take care of their own business first. And if they do that, they don't have to worry about whatever else happens in the conference. But, you know, if Stanford goes, to, you know, and, and – beats up on Kansas state week one and Oregon state goes and beats up at Purdue. Um, UCLA can maybe pull up an upset at home against LSU week one. Uh, maybe an Arizona um, kind of hammers home BYU week two, week one of that football season. And then in week two, you see maybe Oregon, maybe they lose to, to Ohio state, but they're ultra competitive and maybe they have that, um, that lead 
in the fourth quarter against Ohio State, but you see Texas A&M fall at Colorado. Uh, you see Cal, you know, beat down on on TCU. Um, if these games go those ways, then it sets up a deal where Oregon can lose to Ohio State, and if they do go run the table in the conference, they can walk out of that feeling. We played some good teams and we've justified ourselves to, to easily be in the college football playoff as a 12 and one Pac-12 champion. Yeah. A lot of things have to break their way. And I guess, I mean, I guess my response just to the rankings in general is it feels like if the Pac-12 wants to really contend, they should have teams higher than 12 and 14 as their top. Yeah. Their, as their top vote getters, just, just because like look at the sec, they've got Alabama at one, Georgia at five, A&M at six, Florida at 11. That's, that's a lot of teams ahead of the top pack 12 team. And, and we don't have to go through all of it, but the, the big 12 has two with Oklahoma and Iowa right. state and Ohio state's ahead of Oregon um, as our Notre Dame and, and a bunch of schools. So I mean, I, I just, there's a, there's a decent amount of room to make up, but again, as I said before, it, it all it takes is Oregon beating Ohio state and none of this matters. Sure. Sure. That's how you look at it. I think is if they beat Ohio state, who cares all the teams that are ahead of them. But if they, if they do lose that game, I think it becomes challenging to, to, to see them making it back up there, barring the Mm -hmm. the rest of the conferences, unless as Matt laid out, there's a, just a perfect storm of PAC 12 success early on in the season, which could happen. I hope it happens. I mean, this, this talk kind of reminds me of in 2019 with, with Oregon's like, Oh, they have to be, even if they lose to Auburn, that's okay. They can go undefeated in the Pac-12. Or if they beat Auburn, they can have a game to drop. Well, you know, nobody has gone 9-0 and in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. So if they lose to Ohio State and they, they have to go, they have to do something that no one has ever done in Pac-12 play. So that's, that's the issue. And that's where the 2019 team got their college football playoff chances blown up because of the drop game to Arizona State. If they beat Auburn potentially, and then lose to Arizona State later in the year. Maybe they still get in after that Utah performance. But I think Oregon's in the same boat this year. If they lose to Ohio State, they have to win out to even sniff the playoffs. And if they beat Ohio State, maybe they have one game they can drop, and that's about it. Yeah, that's about right. Agreed. What's happening in practice? The Ducks have had four uh, fall camp practices. And um, Mario Cristobal, I think you asked the question, Eric, about Mikhail Wright returning possibly back to his role with returning kickoffs and punt returns. And um, Crystal Ball was not as committal uh, as maybe one would expect of putting Mikhail Wright back there, not because he didn't think he was good enough, but it's an interesting take in that he, he was concerned about how much energy he would have to use at that position on kickoff and then immediately go um, – you know, and then and then have to go back out there a couple of plays later for um, defense if Oregon's offense goes three and out, and just the durability and and the energy that's used, which then brought me up to a, a, an internal question of well, if it's not going to be Mikhail Wright, like who would be Oregon's best you know best bets to use at kickoff return? So if we can't use Mikhail, I think this is a good discussion point of. If, if we're the coaches at Oregon and we can't use Mikhail Wright as your kickoff returner, who who do we turn to next? Well, just really quickly, it was a very confusing, not very confusing, but it was a very interesting conversation because Mario also he, he did two things. He suggested that it might be too much workload for Mikhail Wright to return kicks, but he also suggested he could do both kicks and punts. 
um, saying he was a great high school punt returner. And I asked like, Hey, could, could he do both? And he said, we just, the only thing it would require would be to hit him to get his wind. He needs to be able to you know, not be winded because he goes out there and like, let's say it's a nine play defensive drive and it results in a touchdown or it's a long drive that results in a punt. And you want to, you, you don't want to throw a guy out there who's winded and then ask him to do something. So that's sort of the context there. I don't think it's like a hundred percent. He doesn't do it. I actually like, it's kind of weird. Maybe he does punts only instead of kickoffs. Maybe, maybe, hey, I mean like, you're here. I'm just on the fly throwing this out there. Maybe the situation makes more sense that he does punts because typically a punt return follows yeah. a defensive drive that is shorter than a kick, you know, than a touchdown. So maybe that's a, a solution to get him out there more often. Plus punts are returned, I think at a higher frequency than kickoffs anyway. Um, so sorry, that was just an aside. Cause I was thinking aloud kind of, of like what to make of what Cristobal has said. So um, there's that, but yeah, in terms of who could fill in, if it's not Mikhail, and we should note, I the, the, the I wrote a story saying could Mikhail Wright be both the punt and kickoff returner, and everyone was like, please don't, like please. <laughs> so this, so what we're talking about right now is, I think, is what everybody kind of hopes happens, which is it's not right out there because you'd only get hurt. Like I was surprised actually. It was like probably ninety five percent of posters were like, yeah, let's not put him out there. We don't want him to get hit. So after that long winded introduction to my point, uh, guys, I, I think a couple of names to know: uh, Micah Pittman. Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, some veteran receivers are guys that um, Cristobal has, has pointed to. And in fact, Rob Mosley had his practice report. Um, I think it was, was it Tuesdays, Jared? Because you, you reached out to me and, and noted. It, I did. It. It, was, it was yesterday. So yeah, Tuesdays. Yeah, Tuesday's practice report indicated that those were some of the guys near the top of it. And who else was listed there, Matt, or, uh, Jared? Because there's another, there's a fourth name I'm forgetting, I think, who also was Back there quite a bit. Was it Seven McGee? Because I know Seven McGee and Jeffrey Basso were two names that were also think, brought up by Chris. Yeah, Paul. I think Seven was in there. Yes, uh, he was as, as younger guys. So, so there's some young. It's a combination of of veteran guys at receiver who are experienced, and then also young guys who currently don't really have a set role, which could in which makes sense, right? If we think the part of the reason we don't play Mikhail right back there is because. He might get winded. Why not choose a couple of guys who aren't playing as much on offense or defense um, to theoretically put back there because they're not going to be tired? Oh, Chris Hudson, mm -hmm. by the way. Sorry, that was another name I should have mentioned for sure. Who's been? I know been mentioned a lot. So I think it's going to be either like one of those receivers who actually might play quite a bit and they're juggling it, or it it, it winds up being um, somebody who doesn't have a significant role. And and in terms of being winded, we should note a guy returning kicks as a receiver hasn't just been defending nine to 15 plays of defense right, right prior to that. So even if you're talking about Johnny Johnson or Micah Pittman, who guys we think are going to play a lot this year, Jalen red at wide receiver, they won't be that their insertion into the game as a kickoff returner won't directly follow playing on the field. They will of course then be, you know, after the return uh, will come on the field as often. So I don't necessarily think mm -hmm. the wind part plays a big of a role as it would with a guy like Wright. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, no, I think all the names you listed are, are probable people who can return either punts or kicks. Uh, I think last year they also had Travis Dye and Josh Delgado return a few. Um, so those could be names that we see. Well, we won't see in practice, but names that we can see coming up and potentially returning something. Um, I do really like the idea of Seven McGee taking kick returns. Uh, you know, we've seen him just briefly in, in, in the practice and his shift, like his ability to juke and slip through tackles and all of that is just kind of reminds me of somebody who could be a punt returner. 
and like that quick change of pace. And uh, so I, I like him as a potential, especially as somebody who is just going to be a kick and punt returner. Um, right. He's working on receivers and running backs, but he won't be working as hard hypothetically as a Michael Wright or a Johnny Johnson or Jalen Red if everybody's healthy. So I like him basically coming off the pine as the designated kick returner. Another just aside in terms of a young guy, if you haven't, and you probably wouldn't expect this because of position he plays, I think uh, Jeffrey Boss reminds me a lot of Javon Holland as a return guy. Um, if you go watch his huddle really? coming out of Salt Lake City, yeah, it's really explosive. He returns a bunch for touchdowns, and he was, I think he was an all-state return guy. So I don't know if that's like a, a short, like a, an immediate fix because he actually could, in theory, play quite a bit if, if Jamal Hill is is not available at times this season because he's, I think, probably the second guy in line behind Bennett Williams at, at the star position, which is the new name for the nickel. There's another kind of nugget for those listening maybe weren't familiar. Star is the new nickel, so you hear that and you kind of understand what it means. Um but boss is someone who's really dynamic actually. And I was, I was really, I remember writing his film review going like he might be returning kicks before things are said and done. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's a, a, a candidate this year or down the line to do something like that. I'm maybe I'm just still super old school in this regard, but I'm very hesitant of, of putting a true freshman out there mm-hmm. to, re, to return kicks at least right away. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I'd like to see, Maybe if Oregon gets lucky, or not lucky, but if Oregon does what they should do and they blow out Fresno State, I'd love to see in the second half maybe uh, a freshman or two be back there for punt returns, for kickoff returns if, if Fresno State scores. Maybe throw a couple different guys out there. Like go with Chris Hudson, um, go with. Uh, maybe uh, I think hasn't Josh Logato been back there before as well? Yeah. Um, yeah. um go with a, a Hudson or a Delgado or or maybe even a Pittman, um, back there and until the game's no longer in doubt, and then start throwing different guys out there. Throw a Seven McGee, maybe throw a, a, a Jeffrey Bossa out there, and see what see what these guys can do. I just get very hesitant, and maybe it's the PTSD that comes from DeAnthony Thomas against LSU and yeah, 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 all the struggles yeah. that he had in that game. Like that, that's my biggest fear for a true freshman back there is in a big game, like week two against Ohio state, or even, even against Fresno state. And do, are they able to manage the, the pressure of fielding case? Cause that's, that's pretty scary. Cause remember McHale Wright didn't, didn't come back there and, until Midway through the year, almost three quarters of the way. Yeah, it was the back end. Well, yeah. really quickly, I did pull up Rob Mosley's practice report, and he has the first team return guys with the kickoffs is Mikhail Wright and Johnny Johnson, the third, the second unit, Chris Hudson and Jeffrey Bassa, and the third being Seven McGee and Byron Cardwell. So, um, kind of, Ooh, kind of an interesting, interesting collection of names to look at there, and th- and three of those guys are true freshmen. Interestingly enough, um, yeah, in, in Bassa, McGee, and Cardwell. I think ideally you'd like one of those freshmen to take that job eventually. Right. Just because like, this is going to sound extremely cold, but if a seven McGee, if a Byron Cardwell or a Jeffrey Bossa were to get severely injured on a kickoff return or a punt return. Oh boy. Where's this going? Oh my. (laughs) (laughs) More often than not, like it's impactful, but it's not going to be as impactful as, a Mikhail Wright, 
a Johnny Johnson or a Micah Pittman getting knocked out for six weeks. Like, yeah, it's true. Those injuries to those three guys could derail the offense or derail the defense. Whereas an injury to the first three guys, nothing really significantly changes, which sounds cold, but it's also kind of like the, the, the internal battle you have to, to use in between, you know, when you're, when you're building out your roster. Speaking of Jeffrey Bossa, um, Eric, you've watched a lot of the defense. There is a lot of buzz coming about this younger group of DBs. We know about Mikhail Wright. We know about Verone McKinley. We know about Bennett Williams and Jordan Happel. Um, we know about Jamal Hill and, and DJ James, but we'll get to those guys when they're about their suspensions and the impact that has here in a little bit. But there's been a lot of buzz about some of these younger guys in this defensive backfield the first three or four days of camp what can you tell us there yeah I mean they've been just really impressive um in general and remember all three of the five newcomers enrolled for spring and if we're using what Cristobal said on I think it was Friday about Troy Franklin and, and Dante Thornton looking like veterans because they were here in the spring I think you see the same things with Jeffrey Bassa Damon David and, and Jalen Davies three defensive backs who are all enrolled in January. Um, they just all look like they fit the part. And speaking with Verone McKinley, the third, you mentioned who somehow is, by the way, one of the veteran guys, even though he's in theory, just a sophomore, which is interesting because it's like, he's, this is his, I think this is going to be his third year starting and he's technically still just a sophomore. And he did he's a fourth year program player. <laughs> he's his fourth year in the program and he's a sophomore. <laughs> we, I, we had a good laugh about that yesterday, but, um, but no, what he said was about this group. He said, it's really crazy because this freshman class, you look at them and it's all these guys can make an immediate impact right away. Um, and he ran through all the guys and just was, was really emphatic and in, in saying he thinks all of them are going to be contributors. I mean, a boss, he said, um, he's somebody who thinks can come in and make an impact um, right away of Damon David. He said, he's a true football player. He's always around the football. Um, he wouldn't be surprised if he sees him playing in game special teams and definitely in certain packages defensively. So, um, high praise with David as well. And we should note like scoop David and his nickname is scoop. We've heard that name so much throughout camp. Mm-hmm. And I, when, when, when we get into fall camp, like the first week, one of the things I always keep my ears out for is like, which of the newcomers do we hear their name just said a lot by coaches and older guys. And um, actually Jared had a great story on the site about a week ago um, from current players kind of establishing some of the names that popped. Um, but David feels like a name I just hear all the time when I'm talking to, to, older defensive backs. And so I don't know if he's going to be someone who plays, he won't start because I think it's going to be McKinley and Steve Stevens, the fourth back there. I feel pretty confident saying that based on what I've heard and seen. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see Damon David playing a fair amount out there. And I wouldn't be surprised, like I said earlier, if, if Jamal Hill's suspension carries into the season, Jeffrey Boss is going to have to, to cut his teeth out there a little bit because yeah. you can't expect Bennett Williams to play every snap. And Boss is currently second in line behind Bennett there. So it is a really talented group of young defensive backs. And I think we're going to see sooner than later an opportunity for them to contribute. And I, I do think it will be this season that at least a couple of them play enough to burn red shirt years and maybe a and David, especially on special teams are guys that are, are capable of playing so much special teams and, and enough defense where it, it warrants not, you know, it warrants burning a year there rather than and saving it for the future. Is is they, is they, you feel like Scoop is 
the one that's maybe generating the most buzz among these guys, or is it, I kind of almost think Bossa. It's the two. It's those two. I think, um, I think the corn, I mean, I, and I think it's part because they have the most direct path to playing. Cause I think between Barkins and, and I'm not saying Barkins Davies and, and Dickerson who are the sure. three corners can't play. Cause I do think there's opportunity, but it seems like it really is Mikhail Wright as one of the guys. And then Dante Manning and Tricus bridges are on a second, another tier together. And then it's like the, the three, the three true freshmen. Um, so it feels that's how it feels to me. And then if you were to include DJ James in the discussion, now it's four guys in that top tier mm-hmm. and the and the three freshmen. So it becomes even harder. I just think it seems like David and Boss are getting second team reps a lot and are making plays and are getting shouted out by coaches and players alike. Like right. I, I asked Verona McKinley, like who's you know, what stood out from this camp? And he was saying, We got a lot of guys. He said that a couple of times, and David and Boss were two guys he mentioned right away. I I'm I'm with you. I also think it's not a coincidence that those guys were on campus Yep. before um, Barkins and Dickerson, um, Avante Dickerson and Jalen Davies was, he was here in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, the path for playing time is probably easier at the safety spot than it is um, at corner. But that being said, like Triquez Bridges is a, is he's not a true freshman. He's not a red shirt freshman. But he's also another guy that Cristobal talked about that's done a lot of improvement uh, in on his own game the last couple of seasons and is positioning himself for a bigger role. And you know, Eric, you 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 know me on my stance on on this. Um, I, I've I've been a Bridges uh, supporter for three years now since he's been in the program, and I I still am there. I still think he's going to end up being uh, a guy for Oregon in this secondary, it might be a, a path very similar to what we might be seeing play out with Steve Stevens, where he needed to wait three years before getting his opportunity. And it looks like Steve Stevens is going to be the, one of the starting safeties for the ducks this year. But Bridges is a guy that seems to, you know, every camp seems like to be someone that his name gets brought up a little bit more and more. How about this? Okay. Jared, have you ever heard of a defensive back with a seven foot two wingspan? <laughs> I'm Wait, asking. he has a seven foot two wingspan. Yeah, he told me that, and then he showed me by. I, I asked him a question about like the different body types on Oregon secondary, and he was like, "Well, I think I can do a lot of things my teammates can't because I have a seven two wingspan." And I was like, "You do?" <laughs> and then he sh- and then he reached his arms out, and I was like, "You do. <laughs> you definitely do." In fact, that's I, absurd. He, he could have told me it was like seven foot six, and I would have been like, "Sure, okay," because his arms are just incredibly long. So at six three with the seven two wingspan. That's just like a completely different body type for a corner than, frankly, anyone really has. I mean, like, I mean, I, seven foot two is just absurd, regardless of how tall he you would, are. He would be number one on Jay Billis's draft board. <laughs> I, I was just, gonna, I was just gonna say, Jared, that like, if, if, if just as a basketball prospect, if he was six five and had a seven two, oh my God, people would be going crazy. He's six foot three as a defensive back with that length. Um, so yeah, I, he was, and, and he's saying tech, you know, from a technique perspective, um, that really helps him with press coverage. Cause he doesn't have to have his body crowding the person. He can kind of keep them at an arm's length with his, with just how much, you know, how, with how long his arms are. Um, and his arm's length is different than another person's arm's length. Cause it's, you know, roughly probably eight or nine inches longer than the, the average person for his height is, or, or more than that, maybe. So, um, that part stood out. And then, you know, uh, another thing Mario said was, I, and I did. I wasn't there to ask a follow up, but I, I guess I, I would be curious to see how they measured this. But he apparently during the off season, 
um, ran at 22 miles per hour, which is seems fast, which is how far I go in my car sometimes. So like that seems, (laughs) that seems to be pretty fast. Very safe driver by Eric. Yes. And on the freeway, always 22. Never for, I just, I drive, (laughs) I I drive Triquez miles per hour on the, on the, on the freeway. (laughs) I drive everywhere. Just 22 miles. I don't go any faster. Um, Yeah. I'm really fun to drive behind. You'll take an hour and a half to get anywhere, but no, uh, <laughs> but no, but, but just, you talk about the athletic traits of, of bridges, long arms, really fast. Uh, when I've watched him, I think he seems like he has good footwork too, in terms of, because part of playing corner isn't just straight line, line speed. A lot of it is how you get in a breaks, how quick you are, which is I think a reason why Dante Manning um, has really popped this, this, this fall, according to a couple of coaches and players is, is just how dynamic he is, how explosive he is. And, how quickly he accelerates and stuff. Um, but with, with bridges, you, there's some of that too, maybe not to the kit along, you know, to the same standard of Manning, who it sounds like is really just freaky in that regard, but there is that length and that speed now. And I will be curious to see how this works out. It, it really feels like right now, while we wait for DJ James and to learn what's going to happen there, that this is Mikhail Wright is one of the starting corners and you have Manning and bridges on fairly equal footing battling for, for that other spot. Yeah. It kind of goes right into what I was thinking here. Like who, who do we feel like are the guys that's going to be uh, in place of Jamal Hill and DJ James, should they miss playing time? We don't know if they, they might not miss playing time against Fresno state to open the year or any game beyond that. We don't know. Um, I think it's probably likely that something of that nature happens. Maybe it's, it, I mean, I'll say this, I'll be utterly shocked if they don't miss one snap of an, an right. available game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree. But trying to you know figure out how, what the number is, is going to be tough. Let's just assume they're not available to play the first snap against Fresno state. Um, and we'll, whatever else happens that is regardless. I, I feel like it's probably Dante Manning in place of DJ James. And probably for me, I'd lean Bennett Williams yeah. in that star spot, which is, if you're not familiar, the nickel spot for Oregon. Um, but it's, I'm curious, I think we're probably all in agreement there, but I'm curious what happens after those two guys. That's where it gets really interesting. Yeah, I agree. Those are the two guys that I would, project to start at those positions right now. Um, and I, I think if it's after those guys, it's, I would say bridges. And I don't even know if Manning's that far ahead. I think it's pretty close there. Um, but I would say bridges at corner would be the third guy. And if it's not him, probably Jalen Davies, just from the experience perspective, we should note Devonte Dickerson was with the rehab group. When we watched Tuesday's practice, um, mm-hmm. that means he's dealing with some sort of injury. So there, there could be a delay in his progress. Not that you totally scratch him off the contenders, you know, list, but probably notable at least to, to know he's going to be missing some time early on in camp. Um, and then at the at the star spot, yeah, I think Bossa is pretty clearly the the next guy. Um, in fact, if it's not him, it's probably either like Jordan Happel, who I think is kind of a utility defensive back right now. He's moving between the star on the two safety spots, and he's not like first or second team with any of them, maybe like, I think he's kind of just like your utility guy. You throw him into a spot. I think he's kind of gotten bypassed by some guys from what I've seen, at least maybe it'll be different in camp as it goes on. Um, so if it's not Happel, it's probably literally going to be someone else who's currently at safety. Maybe it's a Damon David. I'm throwing names out for guys who literally haven't 
repped at this position. So it's right. all hypothetical. The guys that are repping there right now are, are Bennett Williams, Jeffrey Boss, uh, Jordan Happel. And then I'm going to have a wish me luck with this one. Marco Vladadovich. Nice. That was, that was good. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we have another name to try to debut pronunciations on later, by the way, um, which I'm going to remind you. So we don't get, we don't get away without doing it. Cause it's a funny name. <laughs> um, but that's the other guy who's working with the, the nickel group. And, and not that I expect he's a walk on. He actually led the spring game with seven tackles. So he's, he's played a little bit, but um, at least in spring, but I don't think that's a, like a, that's not a guy whose name you want to expect to see out there this season. I don't think. Yeah, I, I have to agree. You know, I haven't watched the defense as much as you, Eric, but um, just those names in contention, I think I, I absolutely agree. It needs to be Bennett Williams and either Manning or Bridges who start in place of the suspended Hill and James. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually really interested to see how that battle works out between Manning and Bridges. They're yeah. kind of like opposite players. You have Manning, who's this five-star kid who comes in last year, plays a little bit, but is hurt for most of the season. You have Bridges, who's, I think he was a three-star prospect coming in, who's waited his turn and has finally, you know, found an opportunity and really worked on himself to get to that talent level. So I think that'll be a really fun uh, matchup to watch. And yeah, I'm interested to hear, uh, you know, who slots in behind, you know, Bridges or Manning, like who's, fourth up to bat if James is suspended for week one, hypothetically. Um, I think that'll be interesting. Um, Scoop, Damon David, I've heard his name all the time, basically. And same with um, um, my, my brain has stopped working for the brief period of time right now. <laughs> but, but Bossa? Um, Bossa, yeah. Sorry, I just couldn't remember his name for, for some reason. Yeah, I've heard his name all the time as well. Um, I, again, I haven't watched the defense too much in practice, but, um, just his, his physical stature is impressive. Um, uh, he looks like he should be playing linebacker admittedly. Uh, like it wouldn't surprise, it wouldn't look weird if he lined up next to Justin Flo and Noah Sewell. He'd be like, okay, that's the, that's the third linebacker of the group today. Um, but yeah, it'll be, it's an exciting secondary for the future. Uh, just a lot of young guys who you can see just kind of ooze talent and have that ability to cover ground, have good hips, good footwork and all that. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of competition, but it's going to be a good one. All right, Eric, let's break out this pronunciation. Okay. And, the, and I want to just provide some, the origin, like why, why we're doing this. This is, this is just us. First off, we're just trying to be silly and that we're, we're not, we, we know we are terrible at this. So I just want to like up front, we know we're not good at this. Brandon Dorless mentioned a um, new grad assistant defensive coach had helped him with a couple of things. And he said it was name was coach Winston. And I figured that was his last name. So I went and checked out on go ducks. What his, what his, what, 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 his, what his first name might be, what coach Winston's first name might be. And then I realized why Dorless didn't pronounce this coach's last name because Winston is his first name. And his last name is here's my effort. I believe it's French. I'm guessing maybe it's like Creole. Dila Tebe Dior is what I got. Winston Dila Tebe Dior, coaching Oregon's defensive Ooh. lineman. How, Jared, 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 by the way, was let's have Jared go last, Matt, because Jared was really blowing up smoke about how confident he was in this. Oh, I, yeah, I feel good. I feel good. All right, J Matt, Matt, why don't you go next? Uh, so it's, I know how to pronounce the first name, Winston. Yep, got it. Mm -hmm. Good. I'm good. Halfway to go. there. There. Uh, 
De La Tour Boudier. Oh, I think it's better. Than, that, that was probably better than mine, actually. I think it's oh, French. I think it, it's a French. Going, it's French. Full I think on it's French. It's French Creole or maybe like French <laughs> Quebec or something. Canadian, maybe. Mm, I see. It. De La Tour Oh, I like that. Jared, you were so confident. What do we have? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, you guys have gone a different different route than me, I will be honest. But oh. yeah, Winston, got that. Cool. I was thinking, I thought I thought it was Delati Boudier. Delati Boudier. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, I love that we all had different ways of looking at that name. Um, we have to ask. We have to right. ask. How, how can we get official confirmation on this? Uh, I feel like in about an hour when we're at Oregon's media availability, we can ask a couple of people who might have a pronunciation guide and an idea of how to pronounce it better than we do. And then we'll report back about Winston, who, again, like actually seems like he's like it, we're doing this part in jest. But like it sounds like and we should know, like the grad assistants, the defensive analysts, all those guys are pretty involved with getting this team ready. And so, you know, the assistant coaches obviously get the attention, but there's a really large support staff behind them, including us. Including grad assistants like Winston D. Ladapadier. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, until we do another one, which will be here in the next couple of days, uh, keep your eyes out for that. Oregon's got a scrimmage coming up. We'll probably have some kind of recap of that as well here on the podcast. And for more coverage on Oregon's fall camp, please go to duckterritory.com. And until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.